And we're back. Welcome to the Knicks Wall Podcast, presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today, Kyle Madge. What is this now? TKW's Scorsese. Whistle Sports Podfather. Kyle, what's up, man? Uh, I don't think I can remember the last time I was this excited to talk Knicks basketball, actual basketball that was played in quite some time. So that, that's how I'm doing right now. That's yeah, I can't disagree. And also joining us as always, Eli Cohen. Eli, what is up? Not much, man. Like like Kyle said, like I can't believe we actually have some positive Knicks momentum. That's such a rarity. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I I mean four games, three and one record, and just overall fun. So before we get deep dive, I'll kick it over to you, Kyle. First, what was like your Favorite takeaway, not the most important, but let's start with favorite takeaway from the preseason, either whether it was a moment, player, performance, coaching decision, whatever. So the most important one, because I need I I need I personally need to temper my excitement for the quickly thing. The most important overall one is RJ Barrett, you know, leading the Knicks in scoring in the preseason and more so than just that, looking sort of like a fo- like a like a true focal point in the way that he's handling the ball, the offense when he's getting more playmaking opportunities, uh, the way he's operating in space, kind of taking his time. You know, he's not in a rush. Even when he's in transition, he's always kind of going uh, on his own because he knows he can muscle and bully guys in. But he's also rebounding pretty well uh, in the preseason. His free throws, uh, you know, he's been shooting more free throws. He's been making more free throws. Um, did, did he finish the preseason at 80%? I believe 86.7. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so that's pretty damn – and, again, it's four games against two of the worst teams in the league like the Knicks figure to be. So, again, temper expectations. But, you know, he did what he was supposed to do for a, a third-year pick with expectations of us wanting to see him do that kind of stuff. Uh, he started to do it a little bit. So, I mean – to me, he just kind of took care of business, and he was efficient about it, and he looked sort of exactly how we wanted him to look. So I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm happy about that. I hope now it continues into the, pre, uh, the regular season, of course, because the preseason doesn't mean everything or much. But uh, for four games, I, I think that's about as, you know, as much as you'd want to see from RJ through this point. What about you, Eli? What was your favorite takeaway from the preseason? Yeah, uh, my favorite takeaway, and, like, it's a little tricky because we know that there were some of the vets were out, like Austin Rivers didn't get to play at all, and, you know, Elf, Frank, a lot of guys missed time later on. Uh, but the fact that it actually seems like Tibbs knows how important it is to play these young guys together and, like, was genuinely finding ways to put RJ – like even though he was starting him to put him in minutes, especially in the second half with, you know, with Obi and Mitch and quickly in the last couple of games, like I thought that that was pretty encouraging, even though they're like in some ways, you know, they're, the team is so young that there weren't that many other options, but like there seemed to be a, an effort on Tibbs's part to be looking at these things and to be really kind of seeing the combinations, which, you know, after, the last couple coaches who seemed kind of like this very set in stone. I thought that that was 
pretty encouraging. I, th I thought playing Randall at center a little bit was encouraging because it seems pretty clear that that's, if he's going to be effective at a position, it's probably going to be that, whether it's as a starter or hopefully off the bench. I, I don't see that happening, but like putting him in that position a little bit longer and also just seeing Randall uh, without Elf, like to yes. like kind of appeal to all of his worst instincts to be the devil on his shoulder. Like he actually seems like he was a solid and productive, not forcing it NBA player when that happened. And that was kind of encouraging. So if we can just kind of, get rid of those Peyton minutes where they're together or at least stagger them a little bit. It seems like there's actually maybe something to build on there. And then like, like Kyle said, like, I, I don't know, RJ was really impressive. I know he only averaged two assists, which you hope to see that go up more. I think the first couple games, he wasn't quite given as much responsibility, but like his, his passing is really impressive. And I, I genuinely think that like, other than maybe like secondary to his getting to the basket and his just like brute strength, his passing is probably his best attribute. And at least like the one that can be sort of a differentiator between him and other like big bully ball wings. Like his, he's doing like smooth, like behind the back passes to the perimeter while driving in and just like looked like he really was seeing the floor in a much more kind of holistic way than he was last year. And I thought his passing was good last year too, but it really, it just felt really natural and he, he you know he wasn't forcing things as much and that was the thing last year where he would just put his head down and drive and force stuff and it really seemed like he was he was kind of seeing the game in a much clearer way and so that that is hugely encouraging yeah and i think for me it probably be obi i think he each night or each game he proved that he can have an impact without just dunking on everybody which was a huge positive for me like that big fourth quarter comeback in the third preseason game against Cleveland, he kind of just like quickly knocks take over. And then he was still making passes. He made a couple nice skip passes throughout the preseason, which kind of shocked me. So I didn't expect him to be that good of a passer, but he proved that he could be effective without scoring points. So that's a major, he's just in constant movement. I love it. And I think once he starts having confidence in his jumper, which seems to be, the thing to focus on with him moving forward. I really don't see a way Tom Thibodeau can't start him or at least play him 25 minutes a night. And then Knox as the biggest story for me, at least, because I wrote him off. But it looks like everything I wanted Frank to be, which is a corner three-point shooter, is what Knox is quickly turning into. Not to – no pun intended, but he didn't miss last night. And – that was very encouraging. And if he could come in and do that for a regular season, I'm not expecting him to shoot 80%, but if he could shoot low 40s, we're cooking. Wow, Mike, are you, are you abandoning your Frank fandom for Kevin Knox after two preseason you know, games? That is a bold take. I still I still hold on to Frank. Dennis also looked well, too, for what it's worth in, in moments. But while quickly was erupting last night, and he had 20 after three, I was just thinking back to our Slack arguments, but we were really arguing between Frank and Dennis. It's like, who gives a shit? We have quickly. We have more exciting guards. It's, it's time to move. Even Harper looked a little more exciting. So I am, I'm still in on Frank, but I'm not going to argue on his behalf anymore. I love it. I feel like Kyle and I have been going to war 
with, you know, with a little bit of some backup from Mike and Brian when he was still in the chat over Frank and Dennis for like the last two years. And I, I think all of us have sort of settled on the same conclusion, which is exactly what you just said. It's just like, yep. yeah, fuck it. Like, who cares? It's just, just like, just a, such a, such a bad group of guards. And it's like, I, I promise, I don't even mean it slanderously. I promise you, it's just objectively true. It's like, we just, all of us keep hoping for certain things from certain young players and then they keep not happening. And, and, and it's not that I'm saying nobody has improved a single bit. It's just whatever improvements are so tiny, they're so small because they're not affecting things in a grand enough way. And that's really what it comes down to. If guys are good when they're young and impactful, you notice. You notice right away who those guys are. And it's like it shouldn't take three and four years and then look at, you know, through a microscope to find these things. So it's like, yeah, at this point, it's like, look, man. And again, it's like it's just a preseason with the quickly thing. It, I get it. It's just a preseason. It's just the Cavs that he was really playing well against. But again, it's better than the alternative of him getting those minutes and then not looking good. It's nice to see a guard kind of come in and then kind of like instinctively know how to score. You know, you know what I mean? Like really attacking with his floaters. Like he was shooting a lot of floaters, a lot of floaters, and they were going. He in. loves the floater. Loves the floater, and he's actually good at it. You know, and then even you know which three I really truly loved the most. I mean, he made he made a bunch, right? But like the one I loved the most, it was the third one in the first quarter when he. He had Garland, and he kind of did that little, like Garland on him, he did that little, like, ball fake. It almost looked like Harden-esque, the way he was, like, going to take him off the dribble a little bit, but just kind of, like, stutter-stepped into, like, a, a pull-up three. And, and it was just, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. And he just knocked it down. And he's just a confident offensive player. That's, that's really what I love. He's confident. He's fast. He's decisive. Like, that stuff really does go a long way, man especially in 2020 when you need that from that position. And it was just nice, even for a night, even in the preseason, just to see that from that position, which we never see it from. We never see it. So it's like just, just knowing that that's the bar, like immediately puts him in contention for he's got to have, he's got to have minutes. You can't, even if it's just a preseason, you can't not have noticed how much more they were scoring when quickly was on the floor. Like, they were doing it at a faster pace. The, the offense was being pushed. Like, you, you would have to be blind to not notice that it was better. You know what I mean? Like, like just what Mike said. So, I, I would love if he started. I would start him because you have nothing to lose. You know what all these other guys are going to get you. We've been doing this for years. I would just start him. But, you know, as uh, Quentin made an excellent, excellent point in the Slack, uh, well, on Twitter earlier, actually. And he said, you know, basically, like, Alfred's probably going to start because – if you immediately start quickly and then he ends up not being able to handle it, you know, then it looks bad if you got to bench him and then go back to Alfred, which that there's something to be said for that. I, I think that's pretty fair. I think I might agree with that to some degree. So I, I think seeing Alfred just kind of start would not make me thrilled, but as long as quickly was getting like 20 ish minutes at least to start, but hopefully 2025, 20, I, I could then be satisfied is my point. You know what I mean? It's like it wouldn't be ideal, but at least I, if I know he's playing big enough minutes to do all those things that we just got, a, a, you know, those flashes of, that that would be enough for me, at least in the short term. And then, you know, the, the obvious point is then if he's able to do this in the regular season, in those 20, 25 minutes, he would be starting in no time. Just, that's just an obvious, 
You know what I mean? If he's able to knock down threes and pass like this, the passing is excellent. A lot of lobs. A lot of lobs to everybody, right? To RJ, to Mitchell Robinson, to Obi Toppin. I mean, he's he's whipping the ball around. I Nice little handoffs in transition, very smooth. Like, I like what I see. I, I'm really a fan early on. I really hope this carries, a, you know, into the regular season because I, I, I think there might be a player there. He really has to start, though, if you really think about it. Like, last night, I, albeit against a bad team, but just, like, with, with Elf out there, there really is no need to guard the Knicks above the three-point line with that current starting lineup. Like, Burks is, was the only good shooter on opening night of the preseason. You're not really guarding them above that free throw line with Elf out there. Quickly at least forces them to say, oh, shit, he might actually pull that. Then he has them off balance, and he has like a little C.J. McCollum-ish to his game where he's getting to the rim. The floater's good, and he's just always looking to do – sometimes it's wild shit, but, you know, it's exciting, and he gets the defense shuffling, which is something we don't really see. Like last year, how many times the defenses just switch? I mean, even the first preseason game, the pisses went into zone, and the starters just were like baffled. They were like, what the hell do we do? So I think he has to start. It, it's beyond excitement. It's just natural spacing. Look how good I mean, RJ looked. I mean, seven and five assists in back-to-back games is not nothing either. You know, yeah, no, he's, he's like, always looking to do something. He's another one. Him and Obi share that together, where they're always a lot of energy between them. Right, and we haven't. Seen I mean, I've much. I've been railing in like every article that I've written in the last like year or two about the importance of people who just can come in and make quick decisions. Cause like everyone we have seems to be just, you know, they, they either, they either want to like do too much or they are too scared to do something Do you go through like Dennis, Frank, Randall, even bringing in Austin Rivers, that kind of scared me for this year, but Peyton, like even RJ to a little bit, you know, they all need to, they, they all take their time and like try to make stuff happen when like finally having someone who just comes in, does something quickly with it. If he, no pun intended. If he, uh, you know, if he's got the the move he wants, then he does it. And if not, he keeps the ball moving. Like you saw how much it opened the defense for everyone. It let RJ and OB like attack the lanes, and it just it created so much space, especially for for Mitch rolling. Because like at this point, everyone knows what Mitch wants to do, so it's easy to yeah. cut him off. If there's if there's no surprise to the offense, then you can just stonewall him every single time. But if you have someone, and I will say that like quickly, he's a, he's a lot faster like just out of the you know out of the triple threat than I expected him to be like he gets moving really quickly downhill and yes. that makes the defenses shift and it, it really like just good things happen every single time and you know and that's even before we get to the shooting which obviously like you know RJ got to play in a starting lineup with two to three plus shooters for the first time in his career the other night like that's that's huge and I think it's also worth like pointing out with both quickly and OB that like, yes, obviously it's just preseason. We know that all the caveats belong there because they're playing like the worst players on the worst teams, but like, this is sort of what they were brought in for. Like we have seen after years of drafting the youngest guy in the draft every year, right? Kevin Knox was the youngest guy. Frank was the youngest guy. Even like Dennis Smith was young RJ they went for more experience this year on both of their picks. They went with a 22-year-old and a 21-year-old, and they're the reason for that. They were like, we need guys who are not going to be projects, who can actually just come in and do some stuff because we clearly can't teach people how to do stuff. So, like, so even though it is preseason, like, this kind of instant impact, I think, is probably 
you know, if not what they were expecting, at least what they were hoping they would get when they got, you know, these high pedigree, the SEC player of the year and, you know, the, the college player of the year. Like, they wanted people who could just come in and make stuff happen. And, it, you know, it looks like they're getting that. And that is exactly why when, you know, we were talking about how we felt about the draft and everything, you guys know how much I scream for a point guard. Like, lottery pick point guard, it's the first thing I'm going to say. It doesn't even matter if I haven't even looked at the prospects. If you gave me a sheet and just showed me the top, like, three point guards consensus, I would pick one blind every time if I could, nine out of ten times. You know what I mean? I just – with this team, it, we're, we're just always in need. So that's, like, all, always what my focus is on. I like Killian. I like Kyra Lewis. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter for me. It's like I, I can always get into a point guard that we can draft. So that's where my focus was. But then when we took Obi Toppin, granted, you guys know I'm not like a, a mega big draft guy. I watch a couple of top, pro, uh, top prospects all year. I didn't really watch much Obi. So I went and looked at the tape. Uh, you know, I watched uh, some of the good, the bad. I actually went back and watched a couple of the games, got a feel for him, and I was like, you know what? They took a swing on offense. I don't hate it. Uh, he's an old, like you said, he's a, uh, a guy who's going to come in somewhat ready to produce right away, whatever that is, we're going to see. But they needed offense. They're league worse than offense all the time. Their pace is always bad. They shoot no threes. So, yes, taking guys who can shoot, you know, even, you know, t uh, Obi wasn't even knocking them down in preseason, but he was shooting a lot of threes, wasn't he? To me, that was encouraging. Because for RJ, what did we say all, all offseason, right? He needs a stretch four. He needs somebody that's going to space the floor out. And seeing RJ, uh, Obi just kind of get out there and shoot these things confidently. Now, granted, I want to start seeing him go in a little bit more. But just seeing him ready to go, ripping him, it's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> At least that's the conversation they're having. At least the conversation is Obi's going to shoot some threes. To me, that's encouraging. We, th we said just seeing him shoot uh, like one to two a game would be great. We're seeing that already in the preseason. So if that is going to carry over to the regular season, again, I, have, I can't complain. You took a swing on offense for a guy you're trying to incorporate into the offensive game plan to shore up one of the weaknesses. We'll see if it works. Same thing with uh, quickly here. I, I, don't, I wasn't like mega high on it, but I was like, okay, it's a late first-round pick on a guard. Maybe he is a point guard. I trusted you guys when you, you, know, you were talking about his uh, strengths and weaknesses, but you know, as soon as I'm watching him the preseason, he looks very smooth. He looks very natural when he's scoring. So, look, we'll see. Uh, it looks like they took two pretty decent swings on offense. I, I'm definitely intrigued, and I definitely think these guys can make an impact. I just really want, want uh, this first game to get here because I just want to know for sure that Tibbs is going to do the right thing. I just need to see it with my own eyes just one time. As Brian Giberman tweeted, it always feels like the Knicks just freeze the same brain and put it into the head of the new head coach. And then everything always tends to be the same with the lineups. It would just really be nice to see Tibbs just saw exactly what we saw. And was like, okay, I got to play this kid. I got to play him. I got to play him a, a bunch of minutes. You know, Obi's always going to get in and play a bunch of minutes. It looks like. So I, I'm, I'm tempering expectations, but these, they have my attention. These kids, they have my full attention, two good swings on offense. That's all I've been asking for. Let's see what they do now. Yeah, I think Obi, Obi was a really interesting case this preseason, you know, especially since there's a lot of hype, like, going in just about how, like, he's probably, you know, one of the better bets for rookie of the year, like, you know, 22 years old coming in more ready-made. And 
obviously the offense was hit or miss, like to put it nicely. Like, I mean, his scoring, which was supposed to be the most immediately translatable thing, was pretty rough around the edges. But I do think, you know, it's worth mentioning that in a normal season, we would have watched him go through what, like eight games of summer league against like other people who are like fighting for spots where he could like really get comfortable. And this was sort of throwing him into the fire. Like obviously seeing multiple threes, like clang high off the top of the backboard, not like not ideal. And I, you know, I have my worries with him. Like I, I tweeted out the other day or like watching him move. It's like, it looks like his his hips are in his shoulder, that his shoulder they're in his ears. It's like, it's tough to watch him move, especially like he is maybe like as ineffective as Julius Randle, like closing, like trying to protect the rim. And so that's obviously tough to see, but like, I mean, the passing, the, the, just like the, the IQ, the willingness to like make plays and see the floor is really interesting. So even though it's probably not the preseason that, people expected or wanted from him like I I do think that there are plenty of reasons to be happy with it and to say like I mean unless you just really think that it's a flop like the shot should come around and like if the shot doesn't then it's a problem then that pick is going to look really bad but like I I think from his mid-range little pick and pop game and his ability to finish at the basket there's no real reason to think it won't um but, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we all so, sort of thought he was going to be the guy who comes in and sort of, like, dominates off the bench and, meanwhile, quickly comes in and just, like, steals everyone's heart. And I don't know. It, it's going to be very interesting to watch Obi this year, especially the Obi-Randall dynamic. I feel a little more confident in Randall being able to not annoy the shit out of me as long as he's surrounded with quickly R.J., um, Mitch, and then a couple other shooters. Because without Elf, I think you said I think it was you, Eli. It's like without Elf, he's a completely different player almost. And it's whether he's just like, all right, let me find a way to buy in, or let me just not <clears throat> get traded. I don't know what it is, but he looked fine. And even the third game, where the third quarter and the fourth quarter were completely t- like night and day. He was the only player playing well, and I feel like he was getting most of the shit that Elf was because Elf shot, what, two for 12? And people were blaming Randall or just, like, saying, oh, Randall sucks. It's like, guys, it's Elf. Like, I feel like it's always been Elf, and Julius has kind of just forced himself to become a number one option. So I feel confident, because Eli, I do agree. Your concerns with Obi are warranted because I had a couple. He does run like Amari Stoudemire, which – it's not great news, but I, I feel confident in that power forward rotation. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good rotation. Yeah, he could pass, yeah. man. I think that's that's something that I, I wanted to hit because he looks to pass a lot. Like, that's that's another thing. Like, if he was just shooting and missing and, like, that was it, okay. But, like, he was rebounding. He could do better, but he was rebounding at least – and he was passing a lot. And I like that. I like that his head's always up when he's on the move. So he's he's good at – looks like surveying. You know, he had a nice uh, – he went to the basket. He got cut off. I forgot who made the defensive play. But he got cut off at the rim. And, you know, he, do, he doesn't panic. He finds Kevin Knox in the corner, you know, for a, a clean three. And it was like, 
that's nice to see a power forward be able to do that infrequently. We've, we've seen him hit a couple of guys wide open like that. So it's, it's good to see that, some, again, something that was discussed as a strength of his in college already, you know, showing multiple times a game. Um, I, I think that bodes well for the regular season. You know, I, again, we'll see how successful he is over the course of a year. But I, I think we've seen enough of what these guys are hopefully going to be doing in the rotation. So I don't know. I, I just think it's encouraging because, again, I, if he was just an empty stats kind of scoring, it, you know, live or die by if he's making shots, okay. But, you know, he's been pretty high energy and pretty unselfish about it. So if he's that kind of a scorer, you know, those are concerns that even we had for uh, KP when he was here. We, we all knew he could score, but it was always, is he going to be able to pass out of a double team? once the defenses were, you know, closing in on him. And oftentimes the answer was not. And, you know, it's good to see Obi's already kind of just like, all right, where, where are the cutters? Who's moving? Who's in the corner? Like, those are good things that he's looking for already. That's like an early good sign, at least IQ-wise. It's good to see somebody who kind of knows how to play the game of basketball to some degree. I forgot yeah, what I mean, play that, was. That very first game when he ran the fast break, got cut off through the on-the-move pass like around the guy to Knox in the corner relocated to the dunker spot and threw it down like that like that showed an incredible amount of understanding of like the pro game and that was like you know forget you you don't just like ignore all the percentages just look at that play and see like this dude knows how to play basketball yeah and he had that same thing in the third game I forgot what play who was else was involved I think it was Dennis and quickly but he gets the ball near the rim, kicks it all the way back out to the three, and then it finds its way back to him for the easy dunk, which is something – I mean, obviously it's basic basketball, but it's just something we weren't oh, seeing. It was very sticky. That, last, that was a beautiful play. Yeah, it's like because people always do that. It's a noise made. People do it in 2K and everything else where it's like, okay, if Randall's going to get the shot, we have to give Randall the ball the minute we pass half court. No, move the ball around, get the defense shuffling, and then you get an easier shot. Obi did that. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but plays like that are just really fun to watch. That was a really fun play, man. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that play because I think it, it, it hit four guys, if I'm not mistaken, three or four guys. Three or four, yeah. Before working back to Obi. And I mean, that's all that we want to see. That's, that's literally all that we want to see. It's, it's very, very, I've, I've seen a better brand of basketball at least when Alfred Payton is out on the floor. And at least that is a, a, a big enough improvement from last season uh, in terms of uh, me just trying to keep my sanity. You know, last year, even with Alfred Payton, it's like other guys would come in and, like, things also weren't much better. It was, like, still very kind of clunky. You know, at least this year it's like, okay, well, there's a second unit I can believe in a little bit. You know what I mean? Versus, like, all right, let's hope Frank does something today. Let's hope Dennis does something today. You know, it's like, it's like, well, at least we know these guys are going to do something, but what, what is it today? And it's a different, it's a different expectation. And it's nice to at least have that for a couple, like, you know, Eli, you said, just guys that can come in right away, know what they're doing versus these project guys uh, that we've had. And again, no disrespect. Again, Kevin, Kevin Knox has looked good with a good point guard. You know, he's looked good with a guy getting up and down the floor and, and looking for a shooter and transition really, really quickly. And, you know, uh, a guy who's also a three-point threat himself so that it spaces the floor a little bit better. And, you know, Kevin Knox is confidently stepping into shots. It doesn't look like he's hesitating as much. Um, you know, again, to 
to his credit. You know, he's he's made some nifty passes. Uh, in the, the third preseason game, he hit RJ on back-to-back outlet passes that, you know, that's that's good IQ. I got to give it to him. I, I say all the time, Kevin Knox does not know how to play basketball. He looks like he knows how to play basketball this year. Those were quick, quick decision, uh, quick decisions he was making to to get the ball at the court. So it's like, you know, it's it's credit where it's due. It's it's encouraging to see. So, well, and I think you hit on it perfectly. Like the the having someone who can push the pace, like Knox, as someone who doesn't really know how to play basketball, has always been at his best in transition. You know, where he can like he can either trail for the three. Or you like he can't really unfurl his athleticism in the half court because he's not quick enough and doesn't have a handle. So like when he's being actually able to get out and run a little bit, like then you start to see him. Like I mean, that's that's what he was when he was successful in the preseason his rookie year. It was all like open court dunks, and so like having someone that he can play off of like that just like really simplifies the game for him so much because he he gets so in his head in the half court. But when it's just when it's the full court transition, like him and RJ kind of both like they both can kind of just like let their instincts take over and that their instincts, you know, they're not always terrible. Yeah. And I like that Tibbs has pretty much solved Knox's half court problem by sticking him in the corner because I feel like he's good enough to at least do that. And he did that in the finale and the results set for itself. He shot 52.9% from three overall and a large chunk of that were the last two games. All right, so I, I feel like we've been way too positive here for a Knicks podcast, so let me just ask, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are we about OB and RJ combining to go 3 for 27 from 3? Uh, I think, oh, that's, I mean, I figured we were going to talk RJ in full, but I really think RJ just realized, I hopefully realized, he's a mid-range guy right now. He is the DeMar DeRozan comparison personified, whether – it's accurate or not because he just it's weird like he I said it to you during the first game where everything looks fine with RJ with the shot until you see where it ends up because there were a couple I was like oh that has a chance of going in it was like three feet short to the left I was like what the fuck but then he hits a beautiful fucking fadeaway on Derrick Rose all net and he kind of kept that momentum up the rest of the preseason and he never really got it going from three I feel like everything he did was when he realized, all right, I'm getting to the rim or I'm settling in a midi. I Okay, so it's a concern, obviously, right? Obi, less so for me, only because he was he was high energy in the preseason, but sometimes he was so high energy. You know what I mean? Like sometimes he looked like a little out of control. The way he would like fly in for a loose ball. And so for me, I, I don't know. I'm not going to just blame everything on nerves or anything like that, but he just seemed like a guy who, you know, kind of rushed things a little bit. So I'm not overly concerned yet, just because uh, I'm just glad he's shooting those shots right now and just kind of getting familiar with NBA territory. To me, that doesn't really matter. RJ, a little bit more so, but at the same time, like Mike said, it looked like just his general decision making was like, look, I'm going to take a three if I'm wide open. And I'm hopefully going to get to a respectable level. And not for nothing, as much as he gets killed for it, he was 32% last year. I often make this point when somebody's in this territory. If you're at 32%, you merely just need to jump a couple percentage points higher to be at league average, and then people stop saying you suck at shooting. So 
RJ just needs to do a slight improvement, hit these open jumpers, and just, you know, no, no step back, no forcing anything right now. And he's a high enough IQ guy where I don't really worry about that, to be quite honest. It seems like he's only taking, you know, those safe threes, those clean looks. So it just seems like he's going to rely on his strength and what he's good at this year, which honestly is what a young player should be doing. Like, I, you know, I hope he makes those threes. And as long as he keeps taking them, I'm not going to care, at least this year. But as long as he keeps, you know, improving some, if he's going to work on the inside, part right now of his game then to me that's cool man if that's going to help you be a a better player it's going to help the Knicks be better it's going to raise you know the floor of this team so whatever the good player of RJ ends up looking like I'm down to see it to me it doesn't have to be one way or the other because you know you look the other way and you you see how strong he is the way he uses his body to get to the rim the way he kind of muscles in you know with certain smaller defenders Uh, you know if he's just finishing a little bit better drawing fouls a little bit more you know, it only takes a couple little things before those stats start looking like very rosy to people. You know what I mean? He's he's very borderline right now, which is why it's like just a couple of small tweaks here. And it, it's really going to go a, a very long way in, in terms of his actual impact and his perception. So, like, I like seeing him get to the line a lot more uh, in this preseason. I like seeing him make those shots. Obviously, we all did. But just him getting to the line and drawing fouls, looking more like a veteran doing that, very encouraging to me. As we know, you know, if he's just taking a bunch more free throws in general, that's already a win. Like, with zero free throw accuracy improvement, just taking much more of them a game would be a big win. You know, and then if he's hitting even slightly more, it's a tremendous win. So I, I, I'm not hating it. I'm not overly concerned. I'd like to see those shots go in, obviously. But the, the type of looks are okay. It's kind of a, a good shot chart for him. You know what I mean? So I'm not I'm not panicking. I'm not panicking. I wasn't, but now I'm looking at the splits. He shot for the preseason 60.1 inside the arc, 12.5 above it. So that that's, you know. Like and this, that, and this is when we need to die on our heels and go, that's a small sample, Mike. Things might pick up in the regular <laughs> season. He's going to turn it around. Uh, now by reason ignore, for, ignore everything else. <laughs> the only reason I am not buying into it, but you know, I have a little little concern is a lot of those a lot of looks he's gotten throughout the preseason have been good looks. Like they haven't been rush shot clock attempts. These have been pretty wide open or he set his feet and two of sixteen's rough. But like I said, I think he's twenty years old. He has plenty of time to develop a shot. I don't think he's going to shoot 12% on the year, but I would not be shocked if he's still at the 30 to 32% range this season. But if he's shooting 50 plus inside it, who gives a shit, right? So that's my takeaway on that. Yeah. I don't know, man. He, he excites me, especially with the passing, man. Like, you know, what really, really made me feel good was um to seal the third preseason game when they the Cavs again it's the Cavs I, I'm I'm always gonna use the you know the the disclaimer here but it's the Cavs it's the preseason they were shorthanded I understand but he was getting it looked like double they were trying to trap him uh they, they forced him to go left um it looked like on the drive um and then he perfectly when the defense steps up to him 
and Obi's defender turns his back. And again, this is where Obi being, you know, just knowing how to play basketball comes in handy. If you can believe that in the NBA, that that's a thing. Uh, it's important for players. So Obi makes a perfectly timed cut and RJ knows that it's going to happen. Right. As, as soon as Obi starts making the cut, RJ throws a direct straight line pass, you know, Obi just, you know, two more strides, meets the ball, goes right up, throws down a, a tremendous dunk, seals the game. That's the nail in the coffin. They're up five. There's 30 seconds left. And, like, to me, that was like, man, that's what you want to see from R.J. Barrett in his second year. He's 20 years old. You know, defense closing in on him late in the game. He's got to put it away. Shakes a couple defenders. Perfectly timed pass. Doesn't force anything. Perfectly timed pass for a dunk. Like, you can't draw it up better than that sometimes, you know. And he was doing a lot, of, a lot of good passing in Detroit. He made a lot of good passes, hitting guys in the corner from like the top of the, you know, top of the 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 key basically. And it was just, again, just encouraging to see a twenty-year-old kid have his head just totally up, finding guys all different spots on the floor. You know, whether it's it's him at the top of the, you know, you know, coming down setting up the offense, whether it's off a drive, seeing him do it a bunch of different ways has been very encouraging. So. He needs to get the ball more. It seems like we hoped Tibbs is giving him those reps a little bit more. Um, and hopefully we get our wish and we see play market, uh, playmaker RJ in action um, much more frequently. Uh, even if we have to live with the Alfred minutes, it, you know, that would still make me – to me that would be a big win. But just relying on those, those passing skills of him, he could do it. I don't know what his ceiling is for the passing, but there is a – there is a high floor for it. I don't know where he's going to settle, but it is, it is good. It is good, good passing that he has. He has a good IQ for it, and I'd like to see him fully empowered, you know, to be able to do that. Yeah, I think Tibbo yeah, I mean, is just, actually going to oh, – go ahead. I was just going to say, just having two sort of cornerstones in OB and RJ who both seem pretty clearly to be plus passers for their, like, for their size and role – or for their position and role – plus whatever you can get from quickly, who seems, you know, I, like I wasn't sold on him as a point guard coming out of college, but you know, he, he has been putting in the work and putting up the numbers to shut me up about that. So like, uh, like you said, like that, that play, I know that was a Dennis Smith play, but that play you guys were talking about in the third game where the ball just pings around, like that's so indicative of what can happen if you get guys who can just, who not only like Julius can pass, but that's not his instinct, and he still wants to take his time to figure out what he's going to do and do his little bully ball thing. Like, it just it makes life so much easier for everyone. And, you know, for a team where, like, every basket has been such a struggle for, like, two or three years, like, it's, it's genuinely exciting to have two to three to, you know, whatever you want to say about Frank, Dennis, whatever – who can actually come in and like really like make the ball move, find the right play, make the like make the right play to find the open man, and just you know everyone everyone eats when that happens, you know. So that that's just so encouraging. Yeah, and I was just gonna say I'm just happy that I think it was to start the second game that Thibodeau is making sure that RJ is a priority, and what I mean by that is making sure that his confidence always stays even keel, like it never gets too low because he was pretty bad in that first half of the first game. And he was still a focal point of the offense. And I think it was the second, the start of the second game overall. First play was to him, designed to him to get him going early. So that's like the little things that you like to see where we didn't see that with Fisdale, where Fisdale just kind of 
kicked the ball into the middle of the court and said, go play. So just like little stuff like that is going to help RJ considerably. When I think that, that uh, RJ outshot Randall 55 attempts to 38. And I think that that's like pretty indicative of some kind of like sea change there. Like that was not happening last year. So like we might legitimately be getting like a, no, let RJ be the main guy. Everyone else is like, you know, working off of him. Like that, that is encouraging more than anything else too. Like he, he led the team in points. He led the team in field goal attempts. Like it was pretty clearly his show, which is awesome. Top four in the league guys. I didn't know that. I'm just looking, I'm just sifting through NBA stats for the preseason. He was the fourth highest scorer. That's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. And, and, it, it's what we hope for from Tibbs. It was a point that I speculated Tibbs would do. Um, I wasn't sure if we'd see it. And again, I need to see it in the regular season before I can obviously say anything with certainty because that's obviously when the games matter. But, you know, I it kind of just struck me early on. I was like, when Tibbs has his PGs, guys that he likes, he has no problem relying on them, right? Like Derrick Rose, um, you know, Nate Robinson, like guys that fit the bill for what he likes to do. Um, they've always been kind of dynamic offensive players. You know, like for all this talk about Tibbs loves defense, his off, you know, like he's always had guards that, you know, could kind of do stuff on offense, you know. So I, I think that's kind of a, an understated point. Uh, whether he's helped those point guards develop or empower them to look better is, is whatever, the, I guess, a different conversation. But um, I, I just think like, we were like when he doesn't have those type of players. I I think maybe that's when he relies on like a Jimmy Butler type of guy. You know, we saw it in Chicago a little bit. Uh, then we saw it again in Minnesota, where in, in you know kind of where they lacked a true, you know, higher level point guard. It was just like all right, Jimmy's going to be the kind of point man, kind of set the offense up. Everything kind of runs through him, and and we'll see what happens. And I mean, it it works to some degree. I don't think Tips is a great coach, like a like a not in a slanderous way. I'm just, I just don't think he's like a super tremendous great coach. I just don't think he's a bad coach either. I think he, he's had success where he's got, you know, much more in Chicago than in Minnesota. Um, but, you know, to kind of see what we hope for early on is to me a good sign. I had a lot of fears with Tibbs, so we'll, we'll see. But I, I like seeing RJ empowered like that. Like that's not nothing that he – you know, had such a big share of the usage. You know what I mean? So I, I'd like to believe it's going to carry over, man. I'd like to believe, like, Tibbs, like we keep saying, like, Tibbs just needs to not be an idiot. That's all. The, and, and, again, it's not in a slanderous way. I promise, that, like, nobody be outraged at all. It's not, a, it's not that. It's just our coaching is so – it's like the point guard conversation. Like, our coaching has also been so, so bad. You know what I mean? It's like we just need someone to come in and, like, realize and go, oh, Hey, RJ's pretty good. We should use him more, right? And then everyone looks around and goes, "Yeah, actually, that's kind of a good idea." And they go, "Yeah, actually, we're going to do that this time." And then, it, like, everyone gets up and it's like a standing ovation because it's the obvious. But we never get the obvious here, so it would be nice if just for once it happened. And it looks like maybe we'll get that much. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's reason to think. Like, I mean, we're talking about a coach who tried to make Andrew Wiggins like a primary ball handler. Like, he he was having Wiggins run pick and roll that first year in Minnesota. Like like taking over like a lion's share of the ball handling and innovative. obviously that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that didn't go great, but like now he's got a guy with much better passing instincts. Who's, you know, 
not gonna float in the same ways. Uh, so I, like, I, I do think that if there's one thing to be confident about, it's that he's going to empower RJ. He, he's always seemed to like using his wings in that way. I also like Mike saying that RJ was the fourth highest scorer uh, led me to my favorite fact about preseason, which is that Julius Randle had the third most assists in all of preseason. Beating out Jokic and Trey Young. <laughs> Holy shit. How's that's that? Just screenshot no. it, and then that could just be no context stats. Yes. <laughs> Point guard Julius Randle. Let's do it. If it's not going to be Frank or Dennis. What do you guys think of Frank or Dennis? Because Frank, uh, as always. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I've, I've over the like last week – I don't know why, but I feel like everyone's starting to like the Frank supporters. I love you guys. I'm still one of them, but I feel like he's just getting thrown into like stuff where it's like IQ looks great, RJ looks great. Once Frank comes back, we'll be fine. It's like no, I think we're fine right now. Like <laughs> yeah, Frank's like, fine, but I'm just saying like it's like oh my god, like when quickly like, and RJ was all going off in the fourth quarter, I wasn't thinking about wow. This imagine when Frank's here. Like that's not that's like the furthest thing from my mind at that moment. So. I made this point on Twitter before, and, and every single time, and I said it, I say it in Slack all the time. Every single time I bring up Frank, and everybody thinks I hate Frank, I like Frank, but every time I bring him up, everybody thinks I'm trying to be mean when I'm only ever just talking factually about what he does, which is just not a lot offensively. And then everybody always wants to say what I'm saying is like not true. Like, so my point was look, this point guard group. This collective group of Alfred Payton, Frank Nielakina, and Dennis Smith Jr., right? Not great, right? They, they struggle collectively to shoot. They struggle to move the ball fast enough, frequently enough, to score enough points for this basketball team because our offense is always the worst in the league. It's just – or near it. It's just a fact of what has happened offensively with this team, whether we like it or not. It's not – slanderous because we are just bad on offense and the point guard position is a big reason for that so yes it's just simply true it's not a good point guard group so of that it's not like i'm not even trying to be mean about that with frank it's just they don't really use they they play him some point guard minutes but it's like he's more of like a sort of a, a wingish guy like a secondary playmaker like a like a combo sort of guard you know what i mean like that's kind of just how they use him they, they, they don't look at him like that's a that's a point guard for us. Like, that's only a point guard. It's like just the way he plays is sort of off ball a lot. So it's like he's fine. He, he plays defense. We know that. But it's like there's just not enough consistently offensively. You know, like I'd love to see more. Everybody believes that he's going to be a better shooter. I understand about the free throw percentage being up and the, the three-point shooting in the corner. I understand. But it's just not – it's not enough – Fast enough. You know what I mean? Like in, in the NBA, like offensively, typically, like you start to show you have it or you don't. It's rather simple. Like I don't know. Like I'm not saying don't believe in anybody. You know, don't don't believe in any prospects to develop a good player in a vacuum. Just saying offensively, you, you start like at some point, these guys kind of are what they are. You know what I mean? Like Alfred Payton, you know, was supposed to be like a defensive good assist guy. Right. And he's going to develop and be better and then he just kind of became Alfred Payton he just was what he was that just kind of happened sometimes like 
It's not anybody's fault. So that's all I'm trying to say is like, there's nothing wrong with these guys, but it's like we now, if we're getting guys that are actually better on offense, in, all right, like, yeah, we're, I think we're good right now. Maybe if these guys are actually going to do this in the regular season a little bit, or at least most of it. Yeah. I think we're kind of all right. Those guys can kind of come back when they come back. Like I thought Dennis had upside. I yeah. wrote a notes apology on Twitter this week, apologizing. You know, I, Sometimes these guys don't have it. Some kind no, but, or they don't, they don't have it consistently enough. Like, but don't you think they? I think my Dennis was a little bit better. Dennis was, but that big so, tur- that big fourth quarter comeback though. I'm gonna go back to you in a second. But that big fourth quarter comeback was kind of started with Dennis Smith, if I'm not mistaken. He had a nice defensive stop. He had that pull up three, which obviously you don't want him to shoot more of those. But I think him and Frank, as part of a bench unit, is perfectly fine for them. And I think it is their best place because I feel like we're justified in the scoring first mentality. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, quickly works out in a way where he has to start, right? Whether or not he's the point guard of the future, he just works out because of the offense, right? And you just, you got to start him because you need the points and you go from there. To me, in a perfect world, you lose Alfred Payton and then you get backup minutes from Dennis slash Frank and however you want to split it up. And then for this season, I think that's a fine resolution. That I, Whenever I talk about Frank, everybody thinks I want to banish him or shoot him into the sun. It's just, I, I just don't see like a, a lead role position for him on this team. You know, like uh, on whether or not he becomes one on a different team or, the, you know, I don't know. But from what we've seen so far consistently, I, I would just need him in a backup role. That, that's all. Like, I know people want to start him next to quickly maybe and see how that looks. I think you could do anything. I think you could try. You know, I'm always down to try some stuff and see. But, you know, my expectation for him would be, like, just a good backup right now. You know, again, like, Frank's – one thing with Frank, he doesn't do enough consistently, but he at least is a smart enough player. Like, I, he doesn't kill you, I don't think. You know, that's the other thing. That's the good thing with him anyway. So, I think that's fine in your backups. That's that's something that I would like to see at some point in the season. I don't know how the Alfred thing will finish, but you know, that's that's what I'm hoping for anyway. Side note on yeah. Elf. Do you guys think he kind of just mailed it in for this for like his Knicks career in the third quarter when he just shot like was it seven threes from the corner that were just absolute bricks? I just don't know what the plan is for him here. Like it and like I don't even like mean this in a in a mean way to Alfred Payton, but like it just seems like whatever they try to do on offense, whenever just him is off the floor, just he is off the floor, is totally different. It's like night and day. So far. And, again, four games, but it's, it's night and day. Like, even when just, you know, Dennis was in for a few minutes running point, like, he looked a little bit better, the way, like you said, the way the ball was moving around. So it's, it was like you can't be blind to notice that, that when you put in, like, any other guards – the ball is moving better. The offense looks better. Shots are falling. You know what I mean? It's like at some point, like it, it kind of just is obvious. And this isn't anything new. Like Alfred didn't do tons for us last year. Like he had a couple good games, obviously. Every Nick tends to. All the journeymen that come here tend to. But it's like there was like nothing. Like we, we, the offense wasn't humming with him. You know what I mean? We weren't a running gun team. We weren't getting a ton of open threes. Like I, I, I don't know. I just I would like to believe that you see what's happening here and and you could, you know, resolve the, the, the Alfred situation peacefully. Like I, I I just don't see how it's, 
it won't become increasingly obvious throughout the year. If he starts the beginning of the year, I won't – I'm not going to bitch and moan as long as quickly he's playing or, or, you know, Dennis is a backup or I, – I can I can live with some of that. But, like, they, they got to resolve the Elford thing. I, I hope – I hope anyway that quickly makes it, like, impossible to ignore. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the, whether or not they are willing to admit it, like, the Elf thing has run its course – and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because they're like the only team that juggles three non-shooting guard point guards. Like it, it just makes everything so much more complicated. So like, I actually thought Dennis was better, especially in the last couple of games than he had been, um, which granted is not much cause he is not saying that much cause he was like legitimately maybe one of the worst players in the league last year and mm-hmm. actually was the least efficient player in the league last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the defense I thought was really interesting, regardless of like, I don't know. I, I still, I don't trust the shot. He shot horribly from the field and like didn't take a free throw, which is pretty worrying when athleticism is his main draw, but like using the athleticism and that kind of like bulldoggedness to get into passing lanes and to get into ball handlers was really encouraging. I like, like Mike, I sort of was, finding myself getting more and more sad with the the Frank stuff. Like I thought he did okay. I, I, he shot well from, you know, he didn't take a lot of shots, but when he got it, he shot well. And like the, the interesting thing is cause like, like for what you guys were talking about, I, I think Dennis and Frank, it's just an awful guard rotate. Like I, I just don't think they can play together unless one of them like really actually starts making shots or like suddenly becomes the point guard again. Um, but like, like I tweeted this on earlier today, uh, quickly is the first guard since the Knicks drafted Frank four years ago that he actually fits with. Because up until now, it's been a series of non-shooting guards who need to who like dominate the ball. And like, so Frank has never actually played with a guy who like makes quick decisions, breaks down the defense and can shoot. So like I do, you know, and Kyle, you referenced this, like I, whether it's starting or off the bench, like that's part of the reason why I wouldn't be that devastated like, I don't want Elf starting more than, like, the first 10 games of the season. But, like, I do want to see what Frank and Quickly look like together. Just because I think, like, between their defense and, you know, the the kind of give and take that they have where Quickly can, you know, run more of the offense and Frank can go into the corner and then do, like, some secondary playmaking. And then I think that they can just be, like, a really – like, Quickly's defense was maybe the most impressive thing up until, you know, his – that last game and his explosion, like he's a good defender. He gets into people. He contests well. He like I, he picks up full court. Like I really like what I saw from his defense. He was good at point of attack in Kentucky. I didn't want to say anything about the defense because I didn't want to go overboard. I, I didn't want to do it. I was trying to. I was trying to. I was trying to be good, man. I was trying to be good. I, <laughs> well, how overboard are you? Let about it out. To Overreact. Yeah. No, let's I, say, okay. The... Okay. He, okay. Because I'm just gonna give you my honest opinion now. Wait, way too early. My, my, this is my total Homer biased Knicks fan opinion. Uh, I think he's the real deal. I'm just gonna say it, okay? I think he's the real deal because <laughs> because <laughs> look, it it was some the, when he got me was the was the passing lane stuff. When when you're when you're that quick and you're jumping passing lanes, like. To me, that's like 
the the mark of the best defender to me. It's like you you are so good at defense. You know when this guy's passing and you know exactly who he's passing it to and you're already in front of the ball. It's my one of my favorite defensive plays, if not my favorite. And seeing him do that a couple of times, I got very, very excited. And then just seeing because he's so fast, and again, that's an important NBA skill is you got to be fast. It helps his defense. And I, I liked what I saw. But then if I came on this podcast and I said I liked his shooting a lot, the passing looked great, his defense was tremendous, then I'm basically just talking about an excellent all-around player, and I got to caution myself. So that's why I had to take a step back and take a deep breath. He looked really good is the point. I, I personally, as, as, a, as a fan, like, am, am pretty – all in but like I, I obviously want to see more before I'm like super sold the, the defense looked good it did no I can't disagree that's why I really think quickly has to start there really isn't any good excuse I'm gonna hear and I already know the talking point for Elf it's like oh we want a veteran just at the table shut up play the most exciting guy exactly. for once shut up shut up just enough do it Enough. He can score. Sometimes it's so simple. I know. And everybody, everybody likes to make fun of me. They, you know, I'm, I'm points per game guy. I only care about scoring. I don't care about defense. I don't care. Are, about are we not stats. validated right now, by the way, by that? Because the Knicks yeah, have the, best. The point of basketball good. is scoring the basketball. And when you can't do it as consistently as the Knicks, you don't win any games. Seeing them simply have a guy put the ball through the hoop from the guard position is an unbelievable revelation. And unbelievable, let alone the passing that was happening. Just the fact that there was a multitude of scoring happening, like the the floaters, the three-pointers, like even a couple of those little like weird mid-range attempts that he got up. You know, the, a couple of the ways he got to the baskets at the end one. It was like the way uh, a couple of the ways he drew fouls too, uh, just controlling the, the pace. Like he'd get a guy to stick on his hip and then he'd slow up real quick, wait for the contact, jump into him a little bit. I was like, who is this kid? Because, like, that's it, – it was impressive stuff. It was impressive stuff. Like, I, again, I'm, try, I'm trying to temper myself. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to caution myself. It's not working, but I'm trying uh, to stay objective here. I mean, his foul drawing was, like, like a 10-year vet status. Like, from game one, he was, he was doing, like, the pump fakes and going into them. Like, he – and as to, considering how good of a free-throw shooter he is, like, that is – huge like when's the last time the Knicks have had someone who actually can like be crafty and cagey like that and like make it work and I also just like you know yes like the the scoring is great the passing is great the defense he he seems like a well-rounded player but like more than anything like just the way that the team responded the energy that they played with versus how they play when Peyton is there and when Peyton and Randall are doing their little two-man thing where they spend the whole possession just passing back and forth to each other and nothing happens like the team just rallied so hard. That was like, like some of the most energy we've seen from them in the last year or two. Because when you know you're going to get the ball, it's easy to play basketball. Like, it, like, and again, everybody acts like offense isn't in everything. Offense is like, so, like, so much of bas- Like, I get defense matters. I'm not trying to discount defense, but like, so much revolves around like shit just happening on offense. Like, that's so. You, it, it creates havoc. It, it, like it's it's such a necessity when a team knows that they don't even have to game plan for you offensively, let alone from like the three point line. Like it it becomes like an impossible battle every night. So yeah, I mean, you know, just being out there with like a guard and then like an RJ, where you know like oh okay, like there's two guys who you know yeah of course they're gonna try to score, but like those are two guys who also every time you're open typically they're gonna find you. 
Like, how many times now with RJ have we seen, like, somebody's wide open when he has the ball and, like, he's finding them? Like, whether it's a cut, somebody just waiting for a shot in the corner. Like, he's starting to find these guys regularly with, like, actual spacing that makes sense a little bit. So, again, it's not perfect. It's not like he's getting 10 assists, 11 assists a game. But, like, just being able to hit these guys, whether they're knocking down these shots or not, is, like, a big deal for a second-year player, like, setting, you know, setting the table like that. And it's going to make them feel better. You know, like we said with Kevin Knox, all of a sudden it looks like he remembers how to play basketball again because he's running. When you're running, it's instinctual. All you know is, like, okay, I got to throw one pass. I got to dribble one way, you know, beat one guy. It's a simplified game. You know, he sees RJ on the break. Okay, I'm throwing the ball. That's it. Again, I see RJ on the break, throwing the ball. That's it. You got to simplify things. And when you're out running, playing fast, there's more open shots. There's more opportunities. Guys are going to, you know, become more involved, want to be more involved. Like, that's why offense matters. You know, it gets guys, like, into the flow of the game. It's a, it really is a big deal. It can't be understated. So that's why I'm always so crazy about the offense. It gets guys playing a better brand of basketball as a whole, gets them involved. Like, it does wonders for certain guys. So I'd like – again, it doesn't mean that they're fixed now by any means. It was the preseason against two garbage teams. But it was nice to at least see even briefly, you know. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I know that this quickly love fest can't go on forever. And that also that, like, being better than Peyton, especially for Knicks fans, is not, like, the highest bar. But I, I think it's hell. pretty crazy that – Bar as hell. I mean, he played like almost 10 minutes fewer, like total, than Peyton and like outscored him pretty considerably, had more steals. The defense was way better. He only had yep. like three fewer assists. He had fewer rebounds because Elf is actually a good rebounder, but like whatever, who cares? And got to the line a million more times, made more threes. Yep. You know, he's just like, he was better in every aspect. And that was only playing in three like, like playing when well, he played 62 minutes versus the 70 minutes it's like not a huge disparity but like he very clearly came in and just outperformed Peyton in every single regard and not for nothing real quick but like that's why I get annoyed every year when I hear these camp reports about like player x is dominating player x is oh my god he's doing unbelievable you would you want to believe the way he's taking over these these practices right now and again not trying to slander, you know, Dennis, but like that's something that we heard from the Knicks a lot with Dennis was, oh my God, I can't believe how great he looks. His jumper looks better. That you know, we always hear about how great he looks, how great he's gonna look. This is the year. This is the year. And then the year gets here, he doesn't play as much, and when he does play, he doesn't really look that good. And you know, if not awful like last year. Again, preseason he looked much better than last year. So there's that. But again, it's still like the bar was so low that like now he's just looking like a regular sort of backup NBA player which that's fine it, it, it helps you know from coming from last year of course to start to get back on track uh, he's still 23 years old doesn't mean all hope is lost by any means it just means you know it's nice to see somebody like actually come straight out of camp and then like do the dominating like is sort of my point you know there, there's no there was no talking about quickly dominating camp there's no talking about quickly lights out and uh, all these little leaks and drops and you know, we, we got to get the whispers out about how good this player is going to be. He just kind of, like, showed up. He's like, all right, man, what, what do you need me to do? All right. You know, like, he didn't even play a lot of point guard at Kentucky last year. He didn't do a lot of, like, ball handling. And he's just like, all right, what do you need me to do? All right, I'm just the point guard here. Cool. I'm going to take a bunch of threes. All right, I'm just going to lob all these passes up to all these different players. They're all going to throw them down. It's going to be pretty fun. We're going to have a good time. Dennis Smith Jr. is going to start hitting threes again. Kevin Knox is going to start hitting threes again. Is everybody having a good time? Like, it's nice. 
it's nice to see somebody like just walk in, take the minutes and go, okay, I'm good at basketball. Like good to see. Meanwhile, the, the three point guard that were considered the established point guard rotation, all of them shot, below, I don't know it's preseason and like everyone's playing kind of shitty, but like they all shot below 39% from the field. And that is just gross. It, it's gross. Disgusting. Like, you got, you got to score. See. You got to score. Yeah, not what you want to see. Now I will say, like, it, it, just circling, I'll circle back to Eli real quick. Just a very like last note on that. I I would want to at least see like if if quickly is actually like very good, like you know, in terms of being a rookie and what we're you know what I mean. Just like a a good solid, let's say he's starting, he he's scoring, you know, doing pretty well, all things considered. I wouldn't mind seeing Frank next to him at that point. Like then the like, I, I poo pooed it earlier when I was still trying to believe Dennis could take you know, a, a sizable, you know, uh, role with the point guard position here. But if quickly, because again, I was still skeptical about quickly as a true point guard. So now that I've seen him like pass a little bit, my, my mood has changed, but I, I would be into it then. I would, I would want to check it out. Just seeing the way him and uh, RJ have been able to, you know, move the ball around like, okay. Like now that I've seen quickly kind of do it, like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it would intrigue me. I think, you know, Burks will probably just still start, or, or something like that, but I, it would intrigue me. It seems like it'd be the one time where we've ever like put Frank in a position where he could just like, you know, let him just like do his thing, float to the corner, shoot threes there, and then just do all the little like, cause like, like you say, he's not a lead guy. He's a Swiss army guy. And like, if he can be good at that, then there's a role for him in the league. Like if he can shoot and be a Swiss army guy, then there's a role for him in the league, whether it's off the bench or at the starter. And, like, if you have a lineup with, you know, let's say, you know, just projecting, like, I quickly, RJ, Obi, that's a lot of offense. And that's a lot of ball movement. And if you and Frank can move the ball, too. So if you have four guys who are moving the ball around, and then, you know, Mitch, obviously, is not much of a passer, but he can finish the plays. Like, you can, you can make that work. And it, it, it will definitely be interesting to see. It will be. Uh, some late breaking news here. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist has been waived as the wow. next. So what do they have? Four more? Iggy survived another day. Iggy should survive. He didn't really play that much in the preseason, which is a little weird to me. Um, I'm very happy. And by the way, Sham, Sham Sharnia is a, the first reporter on, the, on that Michael Kidd-Gilchrist Kidd news. Good. I, we, he didn't really play. That wasn't. I feel like the, I saw enough from the guys that played that I don't have any real interest in seeing Michael K. Gilchrist. No yep. offense to him, but I, I think he really – The one guy I could have seen it is, like, Spellman. Like, I know he only played four minutes. That guy looked like, completely oof. winded after. He looked like me at fucking 24-hour oh. fitness. I mean, how, I how do you come in? You're fighting for your NBA career, and you come in, like, honestly, like, I'm sorry. Like, I know – we got, like, I, I'm not one to, like, fashion, but dude looked like a Build-A-Bear. Like, I thought I was looking at Michael – I thought I was looking at Michael Sweetney. It was awful, man. Like It was so he, bad. He, yeah, I mean, I, th- th- <laughs> this looked like this looked like a prime Eddie Curry hours, you know? Like, it, it was it was a rough go. It was not like where he's set up on the floor, though. I will say that. I do think, like, if he's once he gets in shape, if he hangs around the G League or even the main roster, I doubt it's gonna be the main roster, but I do like his space to floor potential. I did like him at Villanova, so I do hope they just for sure it'd be good to have a shooting, a shooting big on the team, other than like ostensibly Obi. 
But I just like the thing that I don't get is like he played for the Warriors, so it's not like he was in the bubble. Like, how has he not been getting in shape this whole time? Like, if he if he knows that he's like fighting for his NBA career and he still comes into camp that out of shape, like that that's got to be a. And I know that they're like the Hawks liked him. They took him with the 30th pick. He was the first round draft pick, and they traded him a year later. And I, and I you know, that there were rumors that they were worried about his like his commitment and his conditioning. And like, obviously we never know about what's going on. Josh Hart actually said something about that too. Yeah. So it's like, I I don't know. Like I, I I really like the idea of him. Like it's, it's nice to have an idea that there is like a stretched five. That'd be really cool. But like, yeah, I mean, you, you can't help but be worried with that. Yeah. And speaking of five, we haven't really spoken about the center position. Ironically, you know, I mean, Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel. Nerlens started the two games he was able to play. Mitch started out pretty so-so, started to hit his stride in the second half of the third game and then the last game, no fouls. So he ended on a high note. I was laughing because while I was, I was tweeting the third game of the season, Clyde, <laughs> he just sounded really fed up with Mitch for whatever reason. It was pretty funny. He was just like, I haven't really seen anything new from Mitch. He wasn't lying. Yeah, I just I, – what were you guys' thoughts on him? I think he was his normally good self. But I have to agree with Clyde where I didn't see any major jump. Having said that, I still want him to start over Noel, who was also good in his minutes. But I just – I'm always going to lean the homegrown guy. But there's really no real difference to me when either or are in. I actually think – like, so I was pretty disappointed with Mitch's first uh, – with the two games. Um I, I thought the same thing that Clyde said. I was like, man, wh- what has he been working on? Like, other than those, those like, I'll, I'm sorry, but, like, those garbage workout videos where, like, he's doing a million crossovers that are six feet high that, you know, any guard in the NBA would just pick off right away. And I, I did think that the last two games, I, I think that we've seen him press before. Like, especially when he comes off the bench, he comes in looking to prove himself. And so I think that when he got the starting minutes, obviously, like Drummond, he got those two fouls early on in that third game. But I I think we saw him settle in a little bit. And I do think that there was some defensive improvement that we saw. I don't think we saw really anything on offense. What specifically? Because I know the blocks and everything. What what did you He had the blocks. He just had, like, it seems like as he went on, he became a little bit less – like, he's still jumpy. He's always going to be jumpy. But he seemed a little bit more restrained and a little more just, like, actually taking in the plays instead of just, like, reacting to everything. I still think he's, like, really far away from where he needed to be. And I, you know, I, I – after the first two games, I was like, oh, shit. Like, this just might, like, not work. And the, the, after the last two games, I was like, okay, you know what, maybe he's not making any progress offensively, it seems. but. He, he seems like he's starting to figure – I mean, like, zero, zero fouls is huge for him. I, I know that, like, the foul thing is overblown. Like, Kyle, we talked about that on, on the Slack thing. Like, it's overblown to an extent except for when it keeps him off the floor, which is, you know, a, a fair amount of the time. So – and but the one thing that I noticed even from the first game, even from when I thought that he was playing pretty badly, was that Noel – like, I, I've always kind of been a Nerlens fan. Like, I wanted – the Pelicans to keep him when they drafted him originally because I was like man Nerland and AD is like a crazy combination like how's anyone going to score on them it seems like he's lost a little bit of bounce because like 
I just really, it seemed like both as a role man and protecting the rim, he just, he just didn't give you quite that impact. Like, even though he's the same style of player as Mitch, like, he just does not affect opponent's shots in the same way. Like, people were just shooting over him on floaters and on layups pretty consistently. And so while I think he's going to be a fine backup, I, I really think that there's a very clear difference. And even when they're not blocking shots, even when they're just bothering the shots and how Mitch changes opponents, like attacks at the basket versus how Noel does. Right. And for the foul thing with Mitch, I think it only matters in the context of where the fouls take place. Like last year or in previous years, he would foul like near the half court. It's just like, what are you doing? He kind of did it. With, he did that um, against first Blake Griffin. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. And then bit. the one against Drummond, I think it was the second one. It was just like, come on, man, it's first quarter. Like, if he beats you on the layup, it's two points. It's not crucial. So if he could just save his fouls for, like, high-leverage situa- situations, I'm not going to be mad if he has four fouls, but he also has five blocks, four steals. Like, I think, what, what was, the, was it the first preseason game? He quietly had, like, four steals, four blocks, and two of those steals were just – he just grabbed lobs out of midair that were meant for the other team. So I think he's he has to be the starter as well, but I can also see Tibbs running the same, well, you got to earn minutes here. And even Whatever. in the Drummond game, like he, he played that whole fourth with five fouls, and I, I think maybe he fouled out at the very end, but like – he no, was, he ended. He, he stayed. Now, he almost did. But hold, uh, now that. Oh, right. They, re- they reversed the call, right? Yeah, but, after but he got that, elbowed. That is a key, key point that I have want, I've been trying to make with him in regards to the foul issues, you know, is that any, it's his job to be physical. It's his job to try to block these shots. And by default, you know, with as good a shot blocker as he is, and remember, he's proficient. Off the bench in limited minutes, he's like finishing top five, top territory in the NBA every year with blocks, okay? So I'm always going to want him to start. He looks better on offense on top of this too because regardless of what he hasn't worked on, he's still very obviously a very good rim runner that fits well, you know, not just with RJ in that aspect, but we even saw, you know, in limited time, you know, just quickly was able to find him a couple of times. You know, quickly was also able to find Obi uh, in a similar fashion. So it's like, you know, there's a use for Mitch in his offensive lane here in a way that I think is important if the team's going to space properly. So I'm not like concerned about him not working on stuff because like the, my main thing was him just working on not fouling out. That's the, to me, that's an important skill. The big man needs to learn how to have because he's always going to have fouls. He's always going to have at least two to three every game. Like that's the way I look at it. So how is he going to learn to adjust once he gets to those two and three? How is it going to affect how aggressive he is when he's chasing these blocks? So seeing him, you know, get to, you know, five and then just, like, kind of hang in there. Remember, like, Drummond looked like Shaq early on. So it was, like, at least seeing him, like, hang in and kind of battle and, like, not foul out, to me, is, it's important. To me, that's more important than him shooting threes or developing a post game right now. So, like, you got to learn how to, like, stay in because if you learn how to stay in, you're going to play. That's what they keep telling us anyway. So I thought that was a big deal, like, personally. Because that's like the one thing everybody complains about. And if he's finding ways to stay in against the guy who wants to bruise with him down low, to me, that's a big deal. It wasn't like somebody like, you know, maybe even like uh, like Carl Anthony Towns was going to like try to drag you out, you know, to the three-point line, face you up, you know, blow by you a little bit more. Like Drummond's really trying to be physical. 
So I like that. Like to me, that was important. And I, and again, I think he should be starting. I'm very yeah, interested I mean, the, for Mitch versus Embiid. Oh yeah. I mean, so I, I would say the one thing about Mitch starting, which is sort of, you know, the, the thing that everything to me this season kind of revolved around is the same question we've been talking about, which is the point guard thing, what they do with Randall, because if, if they are entering with an, the year with another, you know, one shooter lineup, not including RJ the shooter for obvious reasons, then, you know, it's kind of what we were talking about before about like, it's so easy to stonewall Mitch if you don't have to guard the three-point line. You, if you have four players in the paint, then you can block him on rim rolls pretty easily. And he doesn't really have any counters to that. So if he's not doing that, then you're really just putting him in the dunker spot and like hoping that someone can penetrate through all the bodies and get it to him. So if, I, I think he should be starting regardless, but I think that he is going to have a lot more struggles if they're not doing, you know, like a quickly Burks, RJ kind of backcourt where they actually have to like, you, you actually make the defense come out to 26 feet. Like if that's not the case, then I, I don't know. It's going to be, I think it's going to be tough for him. Yeah, that's where I wanted to transition to. So I really think he is the best starter because I think the best starting lineup is quickly RJ Toppin, and then you could put a shooter, maybe Burks or Bullock. Bullock was also pretty good himself last night. Except, um, except that he couldn't hit a shot all, all preseason up until then. Leading up to – right, right. Yeah, but he's still shooter. My, my point is I would be okay with a shooter, even moving RJ up, and then you put a point guard – or a combo guard with quickly, maybe Austin Rivers or whoever it might be. But everything I argue for Frank to start, low maintenance, um, offensive score, ridiculously – not ridiculously, but above average defender. I think Mitch fits that to a T. Noel does too, but, I mean, for all the reasons that you just listed, I'd rather just have Mitch there. I think that's why he has to get the spot. And my last uh, important – why he needs to start note is there's only so many times if you keep talking about caring about player development, when a guy shows that he can be proficient at a couple of things like that off the bench um, in terms of his general defensive impact and uh, just the way he racks up blocks in general. Um, you know, and again, I think Noel is fine. I don't even hate that he was starting. I, I hated the Taj Gibson thing. No disrespect to Taj either, but I hated the Taj Gibson thing way more than I hate Nerland's the well starting over Mitch way more because at least Nerland's like I get it's like a similar skill set maybe you just want somebody who's like Mitch but more consistent or at least that's your excuse so I can understand that right but again as Mitch enters his third year and if he's going to be able to like get you 10 you know 13 and, and five blocks in a game whenever he starts like he's got to start doing that so he could play against first units now you know what I mean like enough with trying to bring him against second units and then hoping he can stay into games. Like part of this development is challenging guys. Part of, you know, you got to start challenging him. Like Mike said, you know, put him against MB, put him against, if he's going to be a starting center in this league. And then I say this for any young player, we all do for certain players too, but you can't just keep bringing him off the bench. Not everybody needs to come off the bench for three, four years, man. Like at some point it's like, all right, enough, you know, start him, see what he's got. Like, you know, give him a, a little bit of a leash and, and let's see what happens. So, to me, that's the way it's got to go. Like, and, and not like a late in the season, you know, season's over, get everybody at the, the post-All-Star hangover. Like, like start him in the meaningful games now. 
Like that that's what a lot of fans want to see. You know, you can only keep talking about the exciting youth and and then bringing them off the bench. You know, you got to start really empowering them. So I, I think this year it makes a lot more sense. Um, but I, I think you got to start challenging him to some degree too. It's got to be against first units now, you know. RJ is a great example of what happens when you play people, period. <laughs> the only – you need to get reps. Reps is the only way to get better. You're not going to get better from – remember Fisdale? I think it was with Frank. He's like, sit on the bench and watch because that's the best way to learn. It's like, no, you learn on the fly. And I think Thibodeau gets that. I think he showed that with quickly. And with Mitch to an extent because Mitch played – considerably longer in like the last tournament. Basket, basketball's instincts. Like that that's one thing that like the way I was taught basketball and everybody gets taught a different way. So I'm not saying that I, I'm the only way is, is correct, but basketball is largely it's such a fast paced game that moves in so many different directions so quickly that it's very instinctual. You, you basically you catch the ball and you kind of like make something happen in, in a matter of seconds. Like it, it's very rapid, right? So to me, there's only so much learning you could do from watching. Like, I, and I really earnestly mean that. Like, you, you really can't get better if you're not playing enough and against, like, better competition. Like, that's it, – it's, like, a very true thing, at least for me, I've seen, like, time and time again. Like, you got to, like, let – you, like, push guys and, and see what you can get out of them against higher competition, better players, better teams. Like, you got you to, like, sometimes overly rely on them when they're, they're young and they've proven they could do such – elite things already like Mitch can you know it's like when when does the push happen like well why are we treating him with kid gloves if he if he can do some tremendous things you know what I mean at some point it becomes illogical so I I would like to believe that they're going to start him but we'll see great uh great wrap-up of why the Knicks should play Frank Nilakina more minutes oh god man I'm (laughs) It's a manual quickly. Hey, I'm just saying, Frank Nilakina is the guard version of Mitchell Robinson. It's just that those skills are way less valuable in the guard package. Uh, all right, let's. Take that it. is shockingly accurate. No, I I, I agree with him. I, I I I think he's a a good defensive player. I think we maybe overstated how impactful he is defensively. That's, I actually agree with that, and I put that in my most recent article. I think that which his, everyone should go give a read. By the way, which everyone should give a read. But yeah, I think his. I think that it's true that in our love for Frank and wanting him to be great, and the fact that his offense hasn't come along, we have built up the offense, uh, the defense a little too much. Like he's a good defender, a very good defender, maybe. He is not a great defender right now, and it seems like I don't know what it is that kind of holds him back. It might be just that he doesn't have quite as much of that aggression that you just like need to have to be like like as much as we clown the Knicks for always talking about they have dogs on their roster this year, like. He doesn't have any of that, and it's. I think it's really hard to be, like, a legitimately great defender if you don't have that. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. But maybe I'm, I'm just bullish on him. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me overrating our own player, but I just think there is a clear role for him, and it requires a little sacrifice from the players we actually care about which like RJ and then quickly and whoever the next rookie is or star player, Lord willing, one one of these years. So I just, that's why I, maybe that's why I, I like it's – I don't want 
tanked or do any of this stuff. And that's another thing I want to do this year, guys. I really don't want to – like, I am going to pay attention to the draft, but I can't go through another year of, like, being mad when they win almost because I think it was the Zion draft. I would genuinely be upset when they won games, and it was just not fun because the other half of the time I was pissed off because they were getting blown out of games. So it was just overall unhappy. I think we should just – Take it a game at a time this year. Yeah, I mean, luckily, a... I, I don't think that's going to be a huge issue this year for us, especially if the idea of, like, playing all Atlantic Conference teams, like, way more than usual comes about. But, yeah, like, if, if, it's, if the wins are coming because the young guys are playing well, then you got to be happy. Like, obviously, if it's just Randall and Elf, like, you know, grinding you to 80-point victories, that sounds pretty awful. But I think that they're going to be bad enough regardless – that they're going to get a good pick. So I think we just enjoy what you get and try to just, yeah, live in that moment. And enjoy those mad Thibodeau timeouts. I, I loved it. I feel like Thibodeau's the first New York head coach since Jeff Van Gundy. And I mean like a tip, like he acts like a New York fan where he called the mad time. He had a mad timeout. I believe they were up 30 when he called that timeout okay, yesterday. I will, I will say this. Look, like I, I do want tips to be good, obviously. I think everybody – regardless of if you believe in him or not, everybody wants him to be good, but it is good to see for, and again, everybody knows this part of like what he's supposed to bring. That's why you hire him, but it's just good to see, like there are so many times when like you would see Nick's coaches just like totally aloof, you know, like they call timeout and they're just like scatterbrained and just like generally frustrated, but like Jeff Hornacek. Yeah. But like, but like exasperated. Yeah. But like, but like Tibbs is actually like, Hey, what was that? And then he, like, you see him talking to whoever the player is very directly. And, like, it seems like, hey, we're going to, like, you're going to answer me right now. We're going to figure this out really quick, and we'll get to the bottom of it. And it's, like, I, I like seeing because I've seen that a lot so far. And, again, it's preseason. So, again, not getting my hopes too far up. But just seeing, like, the frequency of it where he's, like, pulling guys off to the side and trying to explain them, things to him. It's, like, a little bit – it looks like it's more hands-on. At least early on, it looks like it's more hands-on than, than past coaches have been. So, I do enjoy seeing him, like, you know, at least looking like he's holding guys accountable. I do like that. Not that he's chewing guys out, but you know the nature of basketball teams. There's a very direct and somewhat aggressive nature in how you have to sometimes address your teammates or your team, and it works for a lot of guys. So I like seeing it, man. We've had a lot of, a lot of soft coaches here, a lot of soft coaches. Too many. So, when I, when I, yeah. I really went back to think about it because I was like, this guy's really pissed off for, like, they're up 30 and they're playing relatively well, but they're playing crap during that stretch. I was like, I really think Van Gundy, and I even Van Gundy. Yeah, I would say Van Gundy. I was gonna go as far back as Pat, but I really think Van Gundy was a little hell in New York in him, in the sense of impatient, always angry to an extent. I mean, Hornacek did allegedly call Porzingis a pussy, so that's something. But, I mean, was uh, that being a great? I think I was just telling the truth. I think he's just an honest man. <laughs> I think that the the real litmus test is gonna be how he deals with like when. Randall and Elf kind of do their like freelancing thing, especially Randall when he like, cause we know what Elf is going to be. He's like, he does, he doesn't do like the same kind of like head scratchingly dumb things. He's just like not that good as like in terms of like versus Randall. So how to, and you could see already in uh, like, I, I clipped a couple plays where they had like Elf and Randall just had like a two man, possession where no one else touched the ball and it ended with a step back three for Peyton over a con- like a pretty good con- contest and then the next play down Randall just does his classic spin move into a turnover 
And you could see the disgust on Tibbs's face. So like, I think that that, like how he holds Randall accountable is going to set the tone for how he does as a coach in general. Cause like that is going to go a long way also for like showing the players like, Oh no, he means this. He's not just going to let this dude do whatever he says, but then be like, Oh no, you guys, you keep what you kill. But meanwhile, that guy is able to do whatever he wants and like, you know, commit murder on the court and, you know, and nothing ever happens. And I think that should be like the real place where you could see, because I, I, I don't imagine Tibbs is going to play favorites like that. So that's what I really want to see from him. Yeah, no, I, that, that's what I want to see. And I do like what I've seen so far. And Kenny Payne, I don't know what Kenny Payne does, but whatever he does do, it's working because every Kentucky guy has played well. The Kentucky Knicks look very Except strong. for the ones who are actively in Kentucky. Right. <laughs> Poor BJ Boston and – I don't want to get into Kentucky because I feel like Kentucky died so the Knicks can live because I don't know what the hell happened, but they are just not the Kentucky yes. team I know. I hate to see it. But uh, I think we have some mailbag questions. Kyle, do you have those up? I can. I have them up. up. All right. So Let's do it. we got a couple. Uh, some, some things we already addressed as often happens with these Knicks mailbags because generally all of our concerns are always the same. But, uh, so the first one uh, was from at DD Gotorius. Uh, Do we apprehend and charge Tibbs with crimes against humanity if Alfred Payton starts on Wednesday night? Um, we mostly answered that. Uh, I, I personally would. I would charge yes. him. But, yes. but I also wonder, I, I won't, you know, maybe convict him as long as quickly he's playing 20 to 25 minutes a night. So. I just don't want to. Yeah, like, the Elf more we talked th- about it, I'm just, I can't. If Elf is starting, you know, in the beginning of February, then I think we can bring him to the Hague and put him up on trial. Yeah, Elf, I mean, that third quarter, I I sound like a broken record, but it was just nauseating to watch. He was just – like, I was physically – Sean tweeted game night, and it was so true. It makes me physically ill to watch him shoot, and he kept shooting. I was just like, does he not get it, or is he just mailing it in, or what the fuck is he doing? I just I can't do it again. Um. Okay. Let's. Sorry for cursing. Now let, let's uh let's see what else we got here. Uh, a couple more trickled in. Um. So okay, this one I liked. Uh, this was a good one. Uh, from at Brett Albert eighteen. If he does get the start opening season, uh, in terms of talking about Emmanuel quickly, uh, how well do you think he'll play versus tough defenders like? Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Ben Simmons, uh, you know, Holiday. Uh, he just wants to see the ball move like it did the last two games, as uh, I think we all do. So how do you guys think if if quick, if Tibbs hears our prayers, if he theoretically hears our prayers, and he starts Emmanuel quickly, and uh, the streets are flooded amidst, amidst this pandemic, and we all roar and cheer, and everything is, is great for at least a little while, uh, how do you guys think he does those first couple games? Because it is a, a rough start if you're going to start a point guard. I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning of why I liked quickly, where at the bare minimum, he's at least going to force Brogdon Simmons and any other good defender to at least creep up beyond that three-point line where Phil's elf, they're probably going to sag off, one. Two, RJ gets way more attention than he gets with quickly. So I think he'll be fine. I don't think you're going to see the 20 points after three quarters quickly, but I do think it would be better for the team. 
Yeah, I think it'll be tough for him because, I mean, those are two, like, those specific guys are two of the stronger point guards in the league, and they're just, like, tough as hell and really big and, like, both bigger than him by a good amount. So, I mean, yeah, he could struggle. But I think, like, basically any point guard who's not, like, John Morant or Trey Young who comes into the league is going to struggle. So, like, I, I th- I'm confident that he's not going to, like, you know, hang his head and start forcing things. You see, like, I think he'll just move the ball if he's getting, like, locked up. And, yeah, like Mike said, he's going to stretch the floor. Like, the, the, the great thing about Quickly is that he has the potential to be as, if not more so, like, deadly as an off-ball player. Like, he's got to speed up the release a little bit because I think he hesitates a little bit too much when he's coming off of a screen to get the ball. But if he can get that, like, if he can pick up that, like, lightning quick trigger that, like, you know, we saw Tyler Hero or, you know, one of those guys have, like, he can be just as good without the ball. So then you just give, like, if he's struggling, if, if those guys are locking him up, give the ball to RJ and start moving off the ball, start, like, running off of pin down, stuff like that. And, you know, I think he should be fine. Like, even if he struggles, that's okay. Let, let him learn from those. Those are, those are a good couple challenges to be thrown right into. Yeah, uh, no, I, I mostly agree, man. I, like I just said, uh, I, it's the same thing I said about Mitch. I think if you have confidence in a draft pick, and if, to me, if you draft him in the first round, you do. To some degree, you do, period. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but you have some, some higher level of confidence in him, right? So if you're going to want to play that player big minutes and possibly start him, uh, you got to challenge him. This is the NBA. This is a grown man's league. So to me, like, if you're going to, if you think he could play, if he's starting to prove it a little bit, you got to test him. You got to test him and see where he stacks up. And then if he starts to get his ass kicked a little bit, okay, you reevaluate. And I understand, like, again, there's Q brought up a good counterpoint to that about trying to bring him in a little bit easier and just give him big minutes off the bench, which, again, I don't disagree with. As long as I see him playing a lot of minutes in a Knicks uniform immediately, I will be happy personally. Because as much as I want him to start, and I personally would start him, I also. Just don't get my expectations up for this team uh, to do the things that I want all the time, as immediate as I want. So as long as I just see, like, RJ's, you know, a focal point, Quickly's playing a lot of minutes, I, like, I, I can live with him not starting. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I, I'll have some sort of sense of peace. The only reason I – not disagree completely, but if it's Elf, the only reason – I would have been okay if it was Dennis, like if Dennis happened to look really good and as did quickly and type Tibbs lean towards Dennis, I'd be perfectly fine. But I just think Elf is just a total bust. I agree. I just don't think Tibbs is going to do it immediately. That That's my only thing. Like, I personally would start him, and I would love to see it. Today, yesterday, the entire preseason, the second they took him in the draft, I would have just tried it out. You, I've been saying anything. You guys have heard me this offseason. What did I say when Austin Rivers got signed? Try him out. Try him out. I don't care. I know he hasn't played point guard since New Orleans. He's basically he's basically just like a two-guard slash sort of a weird combo guard. He's not really a point guard. But I was like, try it out. I don't care. I don't want to see the Alfred Payton minutes anymore. So, yeah, man, I, like, I, I would start him. But it, to me, like, it would it would be great. It, like, honestly, it would, be, it would really be a breath of fresh air if Tibbs was just like, yeah, man, quickly just going to start. Like, I just don't want to get my hopes up. It just feels like two dream scenario. He should, he should start him, though. He should start. Like, let's be honest.
Well, I, I got one more mailbag question. Uh, a late submission was, uh, why is, it's from Travis Helwig, at Travis Helwig. Why is every Knicks fan assuming Austin Rivers comes off the bench? It feels very untibs to have Austin in the second unit. Yeah. So what do you get? I could see him starting. I think he played well in Houston. I, I, I think yeah. him or Burks. I, I like Burks I, I think, in the starting lineup more than Rivers. I, I think I think I have it. I think I have the lineup. And I haven't even seen him play a minute in a Nick uniform, but I think I have the lineup I'd like to see. I think if that was true, because it could be true, and they signed him to a three-year deal, so it could very well be true. Uh, I just want to, like, multiple times reiterate that because he's he was also, like, really solid with the Rockets. Like, he's been pretty decent for a while. And I, this is coming from a guy, like, I did not like Austin Rivers at all, like, as a high school prospect at Duke, coming into the NBA with New Orleans, like, at all. And then, like, watching him with – the Clippers, the Rockets, like seeing how he's like, you know, he's, he's to me, he's, he's pretty decent at this point. I, I don't mind him. But I think a lineup I'd like then if he had to start, which is very possible, um, give me quickly at the one, obviously, and then go Rivers at the two because at least I think to, to Eli and yours, Frank point, I think that's where you get that wing defender that you want who can actually capably shoot threes at a league average or respectable level the way that you'd want in a lineup with, uh, a, a point guard like quickly that's going to create more space and then somebody like RJ who just is looking for somebody who just can catch and shoot some threes so I mean Burks is fine there but I feel like it, he he's making a good point that Rivers feels like a very tipsy player that maybe we're not talking about enough I think. especially with that contract I will say my nightmare is Elf Rivers oh, RJ and Disgusting. Randall like they're just like literally they'll just be a hundred dribbles per player per touch. Like that is no, no. No, he, like if that's what I, it is, I, just like throw we, it all we, into the river. We throw Tibbs and Guantanamo if that's what he does. He, <laughs> I mean, it's no, no stops, do not pass go. Uh, that's this, that's a disgusting brand of basketball we would be subjected to. So I, I, I don't think I, look, I, I think Tibbs is too smart for that. I hope that, that's all, that's my hope for Tibbs is just like he can't be an idiot. He just he's been around the league with enough high level jobs. Like at worst, give give me the 32 win team I crave, you know? Maybe if not this year, next year. But like start to show me that the mediocrity is back. You know, I've had enough of this basement dwelling <laughs> stuff. I missed the days of 32 wins, 34 wins, 29, 30 wins. Like I need that again. So I mean if it's not this year, I understand. It, it maybe too soon, but um maybe next. <laughs> On that note, I just have one more from a little representative from TKW UK, or Europe, I should say, from Scotland. Craig, Forrest Craig, 33. He said, what would constitute a successful season for Tibbs in year one? Exactly what we saw in the exactly, Yeah, that, I think that's what – I think what you just said too. I think getting to 30 wins, playing the right people – I think if he just if it goes similar to the way we saw the fourth quarter of the third game through the end of the preseason, I think I'm fine with what I'm fine if they win 17 games like that. I'm fine if they win 33 games like that. It's I just need to see that. I can't see players that have no staying power looking like crap. It's just pointless. It's no point in really watching the game if like last year felt like I was watching 
something for no reason. Like I was watching reality TV almost where it was just like, why am I watching this? What is this adding to my life? What is this adding to the Knicks fan experience? Yep. Just play the kids together, put RJ in a position to succeed and you know, don't rely too much on the guys who are going to be gone next year because that's not how you build a sustainable winner. Yeah, I have three things because I believe in Emmanuel quickly. So it's it's basically, uh, like you guys said about RJ, I think that's the, the, the first and foremost part is keep empowering him the way that he uh, deserves with the pick, the value of that pick that you've invested in him. Like at least do him the service of, you know, however long he's going to be here, which we never really know with young players with the Knicks. Uh, things change fast, it seems. But, you know, get, like really give him the leash to be like a, a lead playmaker, a lead, a real lead guy on this team, you know, without being forced to just get like stuck in the corner like he was a lot last year. So seeing that, like we have in the preseason, is like the first big check mark for me. Um, and then just kind of establishing an identity. But this is kind of like twofold with starting quickly for me, eventually starting quickly or at least relying on him. So to me, like – no more aimless meandering throughout the season where we can't figure out what this team is trying to build. You know, it, it can't be that way anymore. Like start to show me something like, and again, for all the talk about the defense, I'd like, again, for the 10,000th time, they were middle of the pack under Mike Miller in defense. The defense isn't going to drastically change things for them. They need to start identifying whatever it is, the brand of basketball that they're going to play on both ends of the floor and whatever it is, start to lean into it. And, if it's something like we're seeing in the preseason where a guy like quickly is going to play minutes and, and shoot a bunch of threes and Obi's going to space the floor out and shoot a bunch of threes. I'm into the idea. I'm into the idea. And at least to me, look, you showed me, you try to show up your, show up your weaknesses via draft and you're trying to take that seriously onto the floor where, you know, we never shoot threes and you have these young players immediately coming in to shoot threes. So at least for me, I'm trying to remove the win-loss record thing from this. But, like, that would, to me, then indicate a successful season. I would then see an identity, and I would see the right players empowered. And even if it's not all the kids, like, everybody always wants 100% of them, at least if it's, like, a couple of guys who are really earning, like, really pulling their weight, like, then that's fine. Like, if you could at least do that, then, like, whatever happens, even with the Mitch situation and stuff, like, I can live with it. But, like, start to show me, like, a, a clear step in the right direction with whatever brand you're, you signed a five-year deal. I'm going to imagine you're going to be here at least a couple of years. Like show me what you're building toward the next year, the year, the year after that. And then I'll start to be a little bit happy. I got one more question and my apologies if this adds on another 30 minutes, but I feel like this is, this bears asking because before these preseason games, these last two preseason games, this was kind of the biggest storyline around the Knicks is Thibodeau pretty much said they need a star player. I think, that's pretty common sense. And people seem opposed to trading for James Harden, which is humorous. Ben Simmons is also available, Oladipo. I got a two-part question for you guys before we get out of here. One, should they should the Knicks get in the mix in any star trade, even if they are not the team receiving the star player? And B, which star player would you target if you're Leon Rose? I would say yes. And honestly – None, because I don't think we have what it takes to get Simmons or Harden. I don't want to take, I don't really want to trade big things for Victor Oladipo, but I would absolutely say they should get in the mix of any team, any trade that needs a third team to facilitate it. 
get in there. See if you can get rid of, you know, Peyton or Randall or what, you know, even one of like the younger guys, if that's what it takes to grab some more assets. But like, I, I don't really see any realistic path for them trading for a star this year, unless like, you know, unless someone pops in a major way where they become like this huge trade bait. Other than that, I don't really see it happening. So I, I would say, you know, like, okay, if they offer us, you know, Harden for RJ, Mitch and Randall, like, yeah, sure, do it. Of course, do it five times out of five. But like, I, I just don't see it happening. They don't really have, they're not in a place right now to do that. So just keep building. And like next year, they might put themselves into a place where they can do that. Yeah, I, my, my mind state for the, the, the Harden thing is almost the same. Like, the, what I don't like, for example, the only thing I don't like about the Harden discussion is when people act like it's uh, it's like a ridiculous trade. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you if you think, like, I, I obviously don't think the Knicks have enough to get it done. I think almost any team could probably beat them with an offer. You Not know the what Nets. I mean? Like, not like the Nets. Like, for example, like even OKC, like if you start if you start a deal as OKC and you're like you get, you know, Shea and you know, uh, uh we have so many first round picks, like take take your pick of like three, you know what I mean? Like three or four. And then like that's already like a pretty damn good offer. You know what I mean? It's like I feel like a lot of teams can can match what the Knicks can do or more. So really honestly, this whole conversation is moot. But my whole point is like if for some reason the Knicks could get involved for James Harden, people acting like it's a like a horrific, horrible, they gotta avoid it. It that to me is very silly. He's been an MVP candidate. He's a tremendous player. I don't even like James Harden. And I have to do this on this podcast because you guys got a little ridiculous about this. Like 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 personal feelings aside, and I understand, but like this is a guy who's still been to the Western Conference Finals a few times. This is this guy who still goes into the playoffs deep. This is a guy who's winning 50, 60 games most of the time that he's playing professional basketball in the NBA. So regardless of if you like him or not, like if the Knicks could get their hands on him, like it still would probably be a very good trade. Like just regardless of how you feel about it. Like um, it just is what it is. Like that's just how it works. So when you get a top five player, when he's age 30, 31, that's a good move. And then everyone goes, oh, but they're not a playoff team right now. Why would they do that? Well, because then you get James Harden. You'd have more money to spend. You'd have more roster spots available. You'd have more draft picks coming up because you have, you're in the green with those right now. Remember, we have a bunch over the next four or five years. So it's like if you give up some draft picks, you still have more draft picks. You still have more, like you can still do stuff. You know, you could still retool. It doesn't mean, oh, no, it's just James Harden and G-Leaguers. Like it's not like we're capped out. You know what I mean? It's not like we we wouldn't be able to do more. So it's just kind of very silly to me. I, like, I get it. I'm not even saying do the trade. But, like, when we're talking about top five and ten players who are in, like, the absolute prime and peaks of their careers, like, you guys got to just learn that, like, even if you don't like the trade or the idea of a trade, it doesn't make it a bad or terrible or franchise-altering horrible trade. Like, those are the Bargani trades. Those are the KP trades where we swing it big time and miss, you know? It's it's not when you trade for a star who's probably going to win you a bunch of you know a bunch of games, and whatever happens after that happens, you know. But like, that's the only distinction I'd like to make. I, I don't think they have enough to get it done, but it's James Harden, guys. I mean, I am serious when I do like they could definitely outbid the Nets, uh, Philly. The net the Nets thing was very funny to me because they have like worse Mitchell Robinson and Jared and. And then Karis Levert, who's like Karis, who I actually like Karis, and I'm not even doing the whole oh he's 
incredibly overrated thing because I actually do like him. I think he's mostly properly rated. I think Knicks fans just think he's overrated because when we're talking about trade pieces, he's the first thing that gets brought up because any team that just signed Kyrie and KD probably isn't going to use Kyrie or KD as trade bait. They're going to use the next couple of pieces up, which is always him and Dinwiddie. So, yeah, that's just kind of how it works. He's always going to get brought up. People are always going to talk about him because he's like the most on the block one. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. how it is. But, yeah, he's older. He's like, as much as I like Levert, he's not mega efficient and he's has some injury problems. He's not super consistent either. So, you know, he, he's kind of like is who he is to me. I think he's a nice player when he's healthy. I think he's like, I think he's a, a, a good solid option on a good team even. Uh, but I, I just don't think he's like a, like a crazy, like a piece to go crazy about. Like people talk about him like he's a 23 year old budding star. And I think that's the only thing I don't like. Like he, I think he's a fine player. I think the, the arguing about where he's rated or, you know, him being over or under is silly, but he's, he's just kind of like is what he is. I think that's just what people kind of like should remember, you know, like that, that's my only point. I yeah, know. I just I don't think Harden will be in that point in blank, but uh, we'll see. Well, I'm assuming the Harden trade stuff will protrude into the season and be a storyline for probably most of the first half, unless a trade miraculously happens. I still think he ends up in Philly, but like I said, we will find out. And the Knicks actually play Philly. I think this week is. Do they play them this week technically? Because the season starts Wednesday. Yeah, they play Philly this week, so. Next time we talk, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, guys, you got anything to plug? Eli, you got a story coming up? No, just go check out the one came out a few days ago about the Knicks and building through versatility and how important that is. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to be pumping out content at this season gets started. Yeah, and the only thing I'm going to really say is, um, again, uh, appreciate you guys buying a lot of shirts lately. Um, you know, the, the Obi-Wans, you guys sold out remarkably fast. Uh, that was record time for us, so – uh, appreciate that. Just wanted to give you guys a shout for that. So thank you again, working on something for that at some point, but we have something else that we're going to be dropping very soon uh, that maybe you guys are going to like uh, courtesy of Jess. So that should be fun. Ooh, yes. Stay tuned for that. Uh, again, that is designtree.com slash the next wall. So D S G N tree.com slash the next wall. Check it out. Buy some merch, support the brand. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, um, We've been making a lot of videos yep, yep. at the next wall. Plug. Uh, we, we've been cooking. So uh, I'm not even going to sit here and pretend like we've been, uh, you know, doing heavy film work or anything, but we're just throwing together uh, very quick and delightful highlight reels most of the time for, you know, the good stuff when it happens uh, for you guys so far. We've done uh, a bunch of them. You know, we did a couple on Obi, you know, to start. We did a, a bunch on RJ because he's been so good in this preseason. Uh, you know, most of them have been single game breakdowns, but before the regular season starts, we'll have a couple of, uh, you know, full preseason breakdowns for like quickly RJ, uh, hopefully Knox, uh, and maybe a couple of the other guys too. So we'll see what we can get our hands on, but you know, between, you know, the guys on this podcast here, we've been starting to do a little bit more for the video for you guys. And obviously if you look at the next wall account, you guys have been, uh, all over that. So that, you know, again, appreciate you guys, uh, watching and uh engaging with that so just stay tuned we got a lot more of that coming up make sure you uh, you're subscri- uh, subscribe to us on youtube for that as well because uh twitter limits uh, you know we can only post so much on twitter uh so long of these videos so the full full breakdowns of videos like for the full preseason ones are going to be on youtube so just want to re- reiterate that that channel is going to be up and running again so make sure you go subscribe to that 
uh, right after you listen to this podcast, do not forget because we're going to have a lot of excellent videos coming up. Uh, so aside from that, obviously keep reading the next wall, keep going to the next Give this uh, podcast a five-star rating and review. We've been in a good mood with the Knicks, so I feel we deserve it. Uh, so that's about all I got. Yeah, and rightfully so. We have every reason to feel hopeful for once and not look forward to refreshing Tankathon after every game. So I feel like that's a start, and we'll see how it goes starting this week. So next time we talk to you, we can have to update on how real this preseason was. So until next time.